backdrops of the stories, backdropping Christmas as our series this year, and we move from the first backdrops to a new backdrop, the backdrop of risk. A lot of people take a lot, took a lot of risk the first Christmas, and we're going to explore some of them this Lord's Day, and then God's sparing life, we'll look at the others in the Christmas story, characters who also took risks. Today we're going to look at the shepherds and the wise men, most believers in the Old and New Testament, and the Lord Jesus Christ's risks by coming that first Christmas. So let's get right to it with the shepherd's wrist. You need to know with me that shepherding was not a white-collar profession in ancient Palestine. It was about as blue-collar as you could get. Shepherds lived with their flocks day and night, and sheep, I hope you remember, are dirty things. They are dirt magnets, in fact, because of the wool that God has given them. And so the men who looked after these not-nice-smelling creatures were often marginalized and not appreciated for the blue-collar work they did as they kept sheep, especially the sheep they kept for the temple sacrificial system, pristine sheep, unblemished sheep, perfect sheep. These shepherds, because of their social ostracization, were not allowed in the temple. They knew the true God of the Old Testament. They were Jews, but they were banned from the temple. And if People didn't know them to be shepherds. Their shepherd garb, their clothing gave them away. And they weren't welcome to participate in any way in temple worship. Really, it was quite ironic because here they were, in some cases, raising the very sheep that were being uh, made to be blood sacrifices in the temple. And yet, although they were custodians that those sheep would be ready for temple sacrifice, they could not be part of those sacrifices because of their profession. And so... God made an unbelievably unexpected twist when he announced first the birth of his son to shepherds, people that the world of that day didn't respect or look very highly on at all. And so it'd be about as surprising as a king confiding in a peasant that God would let the announcement of his son's birth be first made to shepherds. And as we come to Luke chapter 2, Verse 7, we read the following true account of what happened in this regard. And she, Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth among men with whom he is well pleased. What a scene. These shepherds next faced a choice. Either they would believe this report and risk accordingly, or they would wonder and doubt the report and play it safe. 
Thank God they made a big risk. Next, verses 15 and 16. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began to say one to another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see the thing which has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And so they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. I love that these shepherds took a risk. After all, they left unattended, sheep that normally had multiple shepherds watching over each and every flock of them 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They were held responsible for the well-being of those sheep. They took a risk, therefore, to all leave the night shift in the pasture to go to see what the angel host had announced to them. They took a risk. And we can bless them because they did, and I love the way they took the risk. They didn't hem or haw. They didn't procrastinate. They didn't debate. They didn't take a vote. They said in verse 15, straight to Bethlehem they went. Verse 16, in haste they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby. May we be risk takers not only at Christmas but through the year in a prompt and obedient fashion. Straight to God's will, in haste to do God's will. Now, it's interesting and it's demanding at the same time that once the shepherds were given the special revelation from the one angel, reinforced by the host of angels, God expected them to do something. That's the way it is with revelation. That's the way it is with the incarnation of Christ as a revelation of God. There is a, a mandate, a demand, an expectation in heaven that we will do something with the Savior he has sent to believe on him, to be our Lord and Savior from sin. Every point in Scripture that is revelation from God and the Old and the New Testament revelation Scripture calls us to action. Revelation always demands response. It did in the shepherd's pasture, and it does still today. Scripture isn't given to simply make us smarter. Scripture is given to make us submitted to the Lordship of Christ and obedience. Someone has said, as much as I read the Bible, the Bible reads me. The same idea is put, I may start to find fault with the Bible, but as I read it, the Bible eventually finds fault with me. It was American humorist Mark Twain, not a Christian by any stretch, who said this about the revelation of Scripture. Quote, I am not troubled by the things in the Bible which I do not understand, but I am troubled by the things which I do understand and which very find very difficult to measure up to. That's right. Revelation calls for response. Twain knew it, and he wasn't even a Christian. And so how's it going for you and me this Christmas? We have the incarnate word revealed to us in Scripture, Jesus, the babe of Bethlehem, who became the Savior of the cross, an empty tomb. How's it going for us? Are we responding to the revelation we have in the Scriptures for our day-to-day -day living? How is that going for us? Has God called you and me to specific acts of obedience that take risk? You say, we live in a Christian country, maybe, but even in the Bahamas, there can be times in which when we read the scriptures, understand the scriptures, believe the scriptures, respond to the scriptures, that God the Holy Spirit calls you and me to risk right here in the Bahamas. The shepherds certainly risked. 
<laughs> and because they did, we should. I wonder how God might be calling me to risk this Christmas or call you to risk this Christmas. The question becomes, will I obey God or will I please people? And will you obey God or will you choose to please persons instead? What do I mean by that? Will you risk this Christmas, a unique Christmas among all Christmases, will you risk to witness Christ to your grumpy coworker or your cantankerous neighbor? Will you decline alcohol, for example, at that Christmas party for the college students or for the business? Will you risk? Will you give your children this year less presents for them to have more money to give to the poor? Will you risk? Will you think of prayerfully a special financial gift to this ministry at the year end? Will you risk? The shepherds did, but they were the only ones who risked. The wise men risked a lot. These wise men, and we go to Matthew 2, starting at verse 1, this is what it says of the wise men. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, and I'll stop at that comma, these Magi, these wise men, risked taking a very long trip, not exactly sure where their destination was at the end of this long trip. That was a risk. They took this risk riding on camels. What risk was there in that? Well, what if a camel got injured in the journey? What if a camel took sick? What if a camel died? They took risks. What if they lost somehow sight of the star? The star they knew they had to follow to find the right destination. What if they, for some reason, lost sight of the star? Risk. What if this star, this miracle star, this Christmas star, stopped moving as it once started by moving? What if it stopped in some place other than the destination? They took a risk. They didn't play it safe. History tells us they probably took a very circuitous route from Persia, about a 400-mile journey to Bethlehem riding on camels. <laughs> I've ridden on camels. That journey might have taken between two and three weeks if they had rode their camels around the clock. But remember, the navigational star was seen best at night, so they probably only rode their camels on the night shift. And so what could have been a two to three hour, excuse me, two to three week journey became probably more like a five to seven week journey. Like I said, I've risen, ridden on camels. <laughs> they're jerky, they're pounding in their ride, they provide for their Mounts, uncomfortable, jerky, hard. Quite frankly, honestly, I wouldn't have made the journey. My back would have lasted about an hour and then I would have needed a chiropractor. So these wise men risked going on a 400-mile journey to a destination that was yet to be announced, but they took more risks. Verse 2 of Matthew 2. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. They risked when they committed to finishing the mission and worshiping this baby. I mean, everybody loves the birth of a baby, right? I mean, I'm told that yesterday a baby was born to Merlandi and Don Noel. Helen, baby Helen. Everybody loves the birth of a baby. 
Really? Herod didn't. And eventually these wise men found that out personally. They assumed maybe that the king would be pleased with the birth of a king in his jurisdiction, but they had a cold glass of water thrown in their faces when they realized he was not at all happy because he was very jealous and not joyful. He was raging and not rejoicing. He was angry and not adoring. Verses three through six, Matthew two. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him, gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. As the story unfolded and the Magi figured out that the welcome mat was not rolled out by King Herod for the birth of the baby king, they found they couldn't shake Herod even though they wanted and needed to. They couldn't shake the king or his people. And so he asked them, ordered them to tell him when they found the baby. Verses seven and eight. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. You see, he had astrologers, students of the stars that could help him figure out the timeline. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. No, that wasn't the plan. So can you feel in this account, can you feel these magi, these wise men assuming risk after risk after risk to obey God. The risk here most recently in the account is that they risked double-crossing King Herod and he didn't take kindly to being double-crossed. They said that they would come back to him and give him the exact GPS coordinates of where the baby was, but they had no intention to do that whatsoever. Verses 9 through 12, Matthew 2. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. The wise men made that risk not to return to Herod, knowing it would infuriate him and cost them great risk on their very lives. But risk is in the DNA of every believer in God. Throughout the Old Testament, risk is in the DNA. In the New Testament, risk is in the DNA. In the church age in which we live in the Bahamas, risk is in the DNA of being a believer in God. So we take risks as part of the normal Christian life. Taking risk is not an aberration to the Christian life. It is an essential component to the Christian life. I mean, very quickly, let me survey some examples under our third point. Most every believer in the scriptures took risks. I mean, there was Noah, Abraham, Esther, Ruth, 
David standing before Goliath, Daniel, Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, all the apostles, the shepherds, the wise men, and yes, the Lord Jesus Christ himself took risks. And so when you and I risk for God, we're in very good company. I'm going to come to our Savior's risks in a moment, but before I do, let me give us a fourth person in the Christmas story who took risks. It was Joseph. Joseph was betrothed to Mary, as you know. That, in the Jewish sense, made them married, although they had never consummated their marriage. They waited a year in that custom to do that. They prepared a marital home and got a dowry together for the woman, and they were betrothed, married in a Jewish understanding, but not yet have consummated the marriage. That was their standing, Joseph and Mary. And then, as you know, Mary became pregnant before the consummation of her marriage, and that created a big, huge risk for Joseph and for Mary. But let's consider Joseph. Joseph risked. Thoughts and questions and worries and concerns must have crashed down on this righteous man like Niagara Falls on the rocks below. What would his parents and siblings in Nazareth think? Would they ostracize him? Would they gossip about his family without end? Would they question his backbone as a man? Would they question his wife's fidelity? Risk. Will our shame, he may have asked, will our shame know any ending? No doubt he had other questions. I'm sure that when Mary told him she was with child by the Holy Spirit, he had far more question marks than he had exclamation points. He risked. Matthew 1, 18 and 21 Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this behold an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. When she announced that she was with child before the consummation of their marriage, Joseph basically had two options. The first option was to divorce her, to give her papers of divorcement. We would call it in our culture, break off the engagement. That was one option. The other option took far more risk the option of becoming a foster father to the Son of God, dealing with the slander he would face for that, being a laughingstock in his community, dealing with incredible, unique sibling rivalry in his home, accepting the daunting task of raising and rearing God, the man. Think of it, God in his house, God at his dining room table, God in the temple with him as a family. God learning the family trade of carpentry. Think of it. Those were all the risks that Joseph gladly chose to obey God. Talk about brave. Talk about obedient. Talk about humble. Talk about true. In many ways, Joseph signed up to be the third fiddle the rest of his life. Jesus Christ, the first fiddle. Mary, the second fiddle, and Joseph always relegated to being the third fiddle in the orchestra. 
And so to recap, risk was a major backstory of Christmas. The shepherds risked, the wise men risked, most all of the believers in the Bible risked, and Joseph risked. But do you know who risked the most? Jesus. Jesus Christ by far risked the most. Most. I mean, think of it. He risked, in the first place, rejection. He risked human rejection, satanic, demonic rejection, and even divine rejection when he bore the sins on the tree. By the way, if you're viewing from home or here in the sanctuary, have you been in a posture so far of rejecting Jesus Christ as Savior? Stop rejecting him. For whatever reasons you've rejected him, admit to him that you are a sinner in need of him as your Savior and just put your childlike faith and trust in Christ alone to be made new and righteous in God's sight. So Jesus Christ took on plenty of risks. As I said, he risked rejection by humans, by Satan and his demons, and by even his Father in heaven, but he also risked pain. Jesus Christ didn't come to earth on a bed of roses, and he didn't leave earth on a bed of roses either. In between his incarnation and his resurrection, he knew much pain, physical pain, emotional pain, social pain, economic pain, mental pain. He risked to take those pains onto himself. He also had the risk of losing his reputation. He was called a blasphemer. They picked up stones to stone him dead according to Old Testament law. He was accused to have the power of Beelzebub. That's Satan. He was called the B word for a child without a known father. He was accused of being insane and contrary to prosperity gospel preachers, he was homeless. He had no place to lay his head. But it wasn't just risking rejection and pain and lost reputation. He also rejected the lost ability to defend himself. He voluntarily suspended the use of some of his divine attributes And he took all the painful punishment and rejection and the cross without rescuing himself to get outside of the will of God. The sacrifice was the will of God, but he risked that risk to be undefended by his own divine power. And then maybe maybe the culmination of risk that Jesus Christ took was after crucifixion, after resurrection, before ascension, when he risked leaving the global job of world evangelization and disciple-making with 11 misfit men. There was no plan B. He gave them the great commission as he gives to you and me the great commission, go and make disciples of all the nations. And he had no plan B. And all those 11 men we read of in the gospels, all their foils and frailties and failures, he risked. And what happened? You know what happened. They obeyed and they risked themselves and they turned the known world around the Mediterranean basin upside down in the book of Acts. Risk is a major theme, back story of Christmas. May we be comfortable with it. May we live in it. May we not run from it. May we risk. Everybody in the Christmas story did. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this message on risk. We pray that we would be risk takers.
not for the sake of adrenaline, but for the sake of obedience. And we pray this in Jesus, the supreme risk taker's name. Amen.